From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. We're again broadcasting live from the Prevote Stand Summit at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. What a day. What a day it's been. Among the many great speakers, we've been challenged by Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, Attorneys General Dave Yost of Ohio, Leslie Rutledge of Arkansas, Virginia's Republican candidate for governor, Glenn Youngkin, was here as well, former Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf. And uh, Ambassador at Large for International Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback, was here, just to name a few. And guess what? It's not over. You can tune in tonight at prayvotestand.org for another great lineup of leaders. But first, coming up on this edition of Washington Watch, Republican members of the House Education and Labor Committee are calling for a hearing on the Department of Justice's creation of a task force targeting parents who speak out at school board meetings. Virginia Congressman Bob Good, who joined us actually here at Prevote Stand yesterday, was a part of that call, and he joins us in just a moment with the details. Of course, that is just the latest example of federal overreach. Another one of those examples, the vaccine mandate, which has injected tremendous division in the nation. And it was a prominent prominent topic today. We'll talk about it with Arkansas Attorney General Leslie Rutledge later here on Washington Watch. And an Obama-appointed federal judge has halted the Texas heartbeat law. This comes after the left's outrage that the Supreme Court didn't step in and stop the nation's most restrictive pro-life law in the nation that went into effect last month. What is the next Action in defense of the unborn in Texas. We'll find out from the Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton, later here on Washington Watch. And back on the vaccine mandate topic, President Biden was in Chicago yesterday, as we talked about, championing his vaccine mandate. And we know there is no other way to beat the pandemic than to get the vast majority of Americans vaccinated. It's as simple as that. Uh, Is it as simple as that? Well, we're going to talk about it. Ken Klukowski, a practicing constitutional and regulatory attorney here in Washington, D.C., is here to help me do what the media won't do, fact check the president and his speech yesterday. That's coming up later on Washington Watch. You won't want to miss it. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you have not been able to join us for the Prevote Stand Summit, Well, I would encourage you to tune in tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Go to prayvotestand.org. Great lineup for tonight. You can check it all out at prayvotestand.org. All right, the Republican leader of the House Education and Labor Committee, Congresswoman Virginia Fox of North Carolina, spearheaded a letter yesterday to Education Secretary Miguel Cardona and Attorney General Merrick Garland demanding a committee briefing regarding the Biden administration's recent threats against parents concerned about their children's education. The letter signed by every Republican committee member stated in part that, quote, violence and threats of violence are never acceptable, but neither are school boards hiding behind law enforcement rather than dealing with parents' sincere concerns. With me now to talk more about this and what potentially may be coming up is a member of the House Education and Labor Committee, Congressman Bob Good of Virginia. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Hello, Tony. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. And uh, by the way, thanks for being here yesterday with us to kick off the Pray Vote Stand Summit. It was so good to see you here. 
It was a great event, and it was a real privilege to be with you, and thanks for having me there as well. All right, let's start uh, with the letter. Uh, this was signed by every Republican member. What are you asking for of the Attorney General and the Secretary of Education? Well, we're trying to stand up for parents and those uh, family members who are showing up to school board meetings to advocate on behalf of their children, to challenge uh, these school boards on what's being taught in the classroom. What's happened, as you know, this federal government, this Biden administration continues to consider Americans the greatest threat to America. Imagine that. The greatest threat to America are Americans. They've told the military that the greatest threat to America is their own troops, you know, uh, patriots, conservatives within the ranks of the military. They want to weaponize the IRS against Americans by hiring 85,000 more IRS agents and, and allowing the IRS to snoop in every banking transaction that we have. And here we have, because parents are showing up and expressing their concern about what's happening in their schools. They're being called domestic terrorists. And you've got the National School Board Association asking for the federal government to use the, to use the Department of Justice, the FBI, Homeland Security, to go after parents who show up and express concern about their school systems. I mean, there's so much wrong with this. First off, doesn't the FBI have something better to do than track parents who want to find out what's happening in public school classrooms? Yeah, I would think maybe we want to have the Homeland Security and federal law enforcement focusing on our southern border, where we're, we're uh, compromising the security of our nation at the border on a daily basis, facilitated intentionally by this federal government, by this administration, instead of going after parents who just express concern about what's happening in their schools. In the very first, actually the second sentence of the letter from the committee to the Attorney General and to the Secretary of Education, you bring out a point that actually we talked about on the program yesterday, is that you have teachers, you have uh, education uh, administrators lamenting the fact that parents are not involved. They've always, they've always put this, and, and I agree, parents need to be involved, but they've always lamented about the reason that we have poor test scores and children are not doing well in school is because parents are not involved in their children's education. And you make this point here, parent engagement is critical, a critical part of a child's education. This is what they've been blaming the failure of public education on. And now that it's happening, they're complaining, saying it's a threat. The louder they scream, the more it tells us that we're on the right track. Uh, this is democracy in action. When people show up and uh, are engaged, and we want parents there, we want to encourage parents there. I've went to eight or nine school board meetings myself in the last couple of months to encourage and stand beside those parents who are challenging their school boards for what's happening, whether it's a teaching of critical race theory, whether it's radical transgender policies in their schools, whether it's forcing their kids to be vaccinated or to wear masks. And, and the school board needs to stand in the gap when the state is wrong or the federal government is wrong local government ought to stand in the gap on behalf of parents and their citizens. Well, and Congressman Good, a parent is the one in the eyes of God who is ultimately responsible for the education of their, ch their children. They can delegate the authority, but I often talk about this, they cannot delegate the responsibility. So parents have a, a God-given responsibility to know what is happening in the classrooms and what their children are being exposed to. Absolutely. Terry McAuliffe here in Virginia, of course, doesn't think that. He, he got caught being honest on video uh, during a debate where he said, hey, parents shouldn't have a say in what's being taught. And the left, Tony, as you know, with this terrible spending package the Dems are trying to ram through Congress that's going to provide 
free childcare, free preschool. They want to have control of our kids from birth, basically. And they don't believe that it's parents who ought to be able to teach and orient their kids, indoctrinate their kids and what they believe in and bring them up according to what their values are. They think the state ought to do that. And our public school education system, the way they're pushing back against parent engagement is evidence of that. You know, Congressman Good, that's an extremely important point, because in the reconciliation bill, which the uh, you know, we don't know what the final number will be, whether it's three point five trillion or four point three trillion or it's one point five trillion, whatever it is. Part of the funding in there is to expand education, public education to actually almost cradle to grave. It's going to bring in early childhood education. Uh, Looks like it could end up being compulsory. Uh, And and then we're looking at an expansion of uh, community colleges. But here's the deal. Uh, While parents are now finding out because of the uh, COVID and what happened is that they were involved in their children's education, at least watching what was happening, we now know what they want to do at an even earlier age. And so they want to they want to exclude parents before they start implementing this early childhood education. It's amazing, Tony. They want to force us to pay for it, force parents to pay for it, compulsory taxes that pay for our public education system. We have no school choice here in Virginia, no school choice at all. And yet they want parents to have no say in the curriculum or the policies or the standards that are applied to teach their kids. Their most precious resource as parents and our most precious resource as a nation, the future of our country represented by our children. Congressman Bob Good, uh, in the Attorney General's memorandum announcing his intentions to create this task force, along with a number of other measures he's taking, he said this is designed to address the rise in criminal conduct directed towards school personnel. Have they provided any evidence of uh, this criminal violent actions or activity that's been taking place? I've not been able to find anything. This is a phony problem that's really an effort by this administration to intimidate, to scare uh, parents from being engaged, to make them a fear they're going to be have the FBI, Department of Justice, Homeland Security sicked on them by the school system. As you know, that very, very rare incident where a parent may truly get out of control. You've got local law enforcement. You've got sheriff deputies there that would keep folks in line in that very rare case that's, that something may go awry. But, you know, there's no crime in being angry and being passionate and being intense and, and, and participating, engaged. That's what democracy is. And we encourage that and we support that uh, as it's channeled in the right direction to hold parents, excuse me, hold school systems, hold school administrators, hold school boards accountable for what's going on in our schools. One final observation from this, Congressman uh, Good is that even in the memorandum from the attorney general, there is a recognition that there is a limit to federal power to prosecute these crimes. And so a part of this task force they're creating is to figure out how the federal government can prosecute something that they have no business to be involved in. Yes, they're saying that that, uh, they're calling these parents who show up domestic terrorists and saying they're guilty of hate crimes because they go and they speak out on behalf of their children and they they dare to challenge the leftist government that's governing their school system on what's happening in their schools and what their children are being taught and what those school policies are. They're being labeled domestic terrorists by this Biden administration. This is what Democrat control looks like, Tony.
So final, uh, this is the final question for you, Congressman Bob Good. What would you say to parents across America who are listening? You, you mentioned this. You said this indicates how significant the challenge is. What do parents need to be doing? Well, we're being effective, and that's why we're getting this kind of a reaction. I just want to encourage parents to take it up a notch in terms of participation, in terms of enthusiasm. Don't be dissuaded. Don't be fearful. You know, be careful how we say what we say. I spoke to an education group, a parent group. You know, you wouldn't want to say, something, hey, we're coming after you. Say, hey, we're going to vote you out. You know, use specific language that conveys what we're saying. Hey, we're going to hold you accountable at the, vote, at the ballot box. We're going to pay attention. We're going to be engaged. We're going to observe, and we're going to show up and make our voices heard. Very good advice. Congressman Bob Good, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. God bless you, my friend. All right, Congressman Bob Good of Virginia. You can find out more. Go to TonyPerkins.com. Look, we, we need to be responding with confidence because we have the law on our side. We have the mandate to take care of these things. That is our children. All right, don't go away. We're coming back with the Attorney General of Arkansas next. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Join us for FRC and FRC Action's inaugural Pray Vote Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and the truth of God's Word, we've launched Pray Vote Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, developments in our nation's education system, and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. 
Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia from October 6th through the 8th for the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. Register online at prayvotestand.org slash summit or by calling 877-372-2808. More than ever before, Christians need to be grounded in the truth of God's Word and be prepared to articulate them in a winsome manner. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. By applying the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to a wide range of relevant issues, including voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality, the experts at the center have provided resources to help Christians live by a biblical worldview. To understand why scripture must be authoritative and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. Access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series at frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including their latest blogs, op-eds, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Again, we're broadcasting live from the Pray Vote Stand Summit at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. You can tune in tonight beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern time, prayvotestand.org. We were talking about federal overreach as it pertained to education. It's shocking, uh, but probably shouldn't be. Uh, When we look at the overreach of this administration, Last month, President Biden announced that he will instruct the regulatory agency of the U.S. Department of Labor to issue an emergency order requiring all private businesses with 100 or more employees to require all of their employees to get the, the shot, the COVID shot, or face weekly testing. Now, he, he uh, reiterated that yesterday in Chicago. We're going to talk more about his speech a little bit later. Um, is this constitutional? You've got 24 attorneys general of the states, 24 states, that have already put the Biden administration on notice, saying that when the rules are out, we'll see you in court. One of those attorneys general is Leslie Rutledge of uh, Arkansas, and she joins us now. Uh, General Rutledge, welcome to Washington Watch. Well, thank you so much, Tony. Always a pleasure to be on with you. And what an incredible summit here at uh Pray, vote, stand, and incredible Americans talking about issues that matter. And this matters to the American worker. This matters to folks in Arkansas that we have President Joe Biden showing us once again that he is absolutely willing to go beyond his authority and use that pen to force Americans and to force American businesses to require the vaccine. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because, again, yesterday he was underscoring this, and we still don't have any rules. Uh, OSHA was supposed to put out the rules. That's what you're waiting for. That's what the attorneys general are waiting for because you can't take, you can't take a speech to court. What's the holdup? Well, we're waiting on the rule to come down before we can uh, file that lawsuit. Uh, right now, uh, we have Joe Biden's very dangerous words. Unfortunately, we have too many companies that are going ahead and acquiescing. Is that my design? Is that they're holding back on the rules and just using the, if you will, the bully pulpit to get these businesses to do the dirty work for the Biden administration, knowing that this rule is unconstitutional? 
Well, that is certainly a concern of mine and a concern of a number of attorneys general, but I certainly will not try to get into the mind of Joe Biden and what he is thinking at any given moment, because it might change the next moment. Uh, however, uh, this is a way for the liberal left and the agenda to go ahead and have companies implement these dangerous policies. And no, it's not necessarily dangerous to have people healthy at work, but what is dangerous is when you have companies and particularly you have a federal government mandating health care. Right. Now, and I've been very clear in this program, I am not anti-vaccine. Uh, I've not gotten the vaccine because I have natural immunity, which is not a part of the equation that this administration is willing to consider. And they're not allowing businesses to take that into consideration or either. They're also forcing this not only on businesses that have over 100 people, but also they are going to implement this rule with any healthcare institution that receives Medicare or Medicaid dollars. Is that something that the attorneys general will address as well? Well, definitely. And that's the going back the same liberal left playbook of holding those federal dollars out to uh, individuals or companies dangling that giant carrot in front of uh, even states and to say, in order to get all of this federal money, you must comply. Now, where were those carrots when they were throwing out uh, all these benefits for the last 18 months? And now companies have found themselves without workers because it's hard right. to compete with the free federal dollars that right. they were giving. So why didn't they dangle those same carrots? But that's a the playbook that we've seen time and again over the years, Tony. It's nothing new to us. But what we are going to do, and it shouldn't be new to Joe Biden because we sued him successfully when he was vice president under Barack Obama. And we've sued him again a number of times already as president. Uh, the Republican attorneys general have. I've been leading the charge on some of those issues. And we're going to win when the time comes on this issue to prevent President Biden and his administration from requiring vaccine mandates. I mean, there, there's clearly the legal battles. And you lay out in your five-page letter that 24 attorneys general uh, sent to the president kind of the underlying issues here. OSHA, they've, uh, previous administrations have tried to use OSHA to implement these rules. Those have been challenged in court, and uh, about 90% of the time, uh, they have not withstood court uh, scrutiny. Well, that's right. Uh, and again, it's because you have a president and using his administration to circumvent the will of the people and to circumvent the will of Congress. Uh, using OSHA is a a means in an emergency is a means for the president to justify his illegal actions. We've also seen this in the eviction moratorium that the Supreme Court uh, said, no, you can't do that. Well, it didn't stop uh, this Biden administration from attempting to do it again. So we're prepared. And that's why we sent that letter. The 24 states did to the administration to essentially say, if you move forward with this unlawful policy, we will move forward with litigation. And I actually think that's why they haven't promulgated the rules, is they know that, that within hours, days, they will be in court and it's indefensible. But there's also a, 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 a political PR aspect of this, because in particular, the healthcare workers, the frontline workers who a year ago were heroes, and now they're villains and they're being fired from their jobs because because they won't get a shot. And many of them already have natural immunity because they were exposed to this and they had COVID. 
Well, and this should be a decision for each one of those workers and their physicians. Right. I tell people all the time, get off Google and talk to your doctor. Um, I have personally been vaccinated. I have, I did not have those natural immunities. I have not had COVID. Knocking on wood right now, Tony. Uh, but, you know, and I've got elderly parents that live a half a mile away from me. I got a 90-year-old mother-in-law. So I was taking the precautions uh, that I felt were right for me based on my conversations with Absolutely. my doctor. Absolutely. I was not taking these steps because it was mandated. I was not taking these steps uh, because of some research that I found on an obscure website. And we certainly do not need the federal government telling businesses what they can and cannot do in, in terms of requiring their workers to be vaccinated. Yeah, I don't want uh, Dr. Biden telling me what I need to do. Well, there's only one doctor in his house, and I don't want Dr. Jill Biden, much less no. Joe Biden, deciding my health care. I understand. Uh, Attorney General Leslie Rutledge, thanks so much for uh, joining us today, and thanks for being at Prairie Vote Stand. Thank you, Tony. All right, folks, coming up next, we're going to be joined by another attorney general. Ken Paxton of Texas is going to be joining us. Same day the president announced this uh, mandate on the vaccine, they sued the state of Texas. Over what? Well, we're going to talk about it next with Ken Paxton. Don't go away. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Have you ever tried to read the Bible daily but struggled to get in a groove? It can be hard, especially if you don't know where to start or how to understand and apply what you've read. Or maybe it's just that doing it alone has made it too easy to give up. Well, let me encourage you. You don't have to do this daily discipline alone. You can join Family Research Council's Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. God's Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. That is why we want to read the Bible daily, and we'd love for you to join us so we can stay grounded in God's truth and grow closer to God together. Our hope is that this plan will help you be transformed by God's Word, by reading and hearing it daily. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. That's frc.org slash Bible. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, you can find it all later. Archived at TonyPerkins.com. Also tonight, beginning 7 p.m. Eastern time, Pray Vote Stand Summit. You can find it at PrayVoteStand.org. All right, as I mentioned earlier, the same day that President Biden issued his 
vaccine mandate, his Department of Justice sued the state of Texas. What did they sue them for? They sued them over their heartbeat bill. And on Wednesday, a federal judge appointed by Barack Obama, Robert Pittman, overturned or put a stay on that law. And just moments ago, the state of Texas has announced that they are taking action and they're appealing that decision to the Fifth Circuit. Joining me now to talk more about this is the attorney general for the state of Texas, someone who is uh, on our program frequently, Ken Paxton. Uh, General Paxton, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's a pretty important topic for us in Texas. Uh, well, I think it's an extremely important topic for the country. And, uh, you know, I want to first ask, the Supreme Court let this law go into effect. The left was outraged that the court, the high court, didn't do their bidding. So they uh, shopped for a venue there in Texas going to an Obama appointee. And he took action. What did he do? He basically put a stay on the legislation that was put in put in effect by a duly elected legislature of the people. And so we think he's wrong. Uh, we don't think he has the ability to stay uh, court hearings across the state. Because basically, he's putting an injunction on all state courts. Uh, we think we're, that's why we're going to challenge it. We think we'll be successful when we get to the Fifth Circuit. So what's the time frame that we might see something out of the Fifth Circuit? Well, we're hoping hoping quickly because a stay obviously stops the legislation that elected representatives put in place. So we're hoping that uh, when we get this on file, which we were shooting for today, if, if the latest Monday, uh, to get this on file, we're hoping rather quickly so that our legislation can go back into effect. Every day that this legislation has been in effect saves about 150 babies. The Texas legislature, looking at all of the information, they made this choice. They put this law into effect that when a heartbeat is detected in a baby, at that point forward, uh, for the most part, abortions cannot be obtained. As you said, there has been clear evidence that this has saved lives in the state of Texas. Yeah, and that's I think that's the, the, the goal of the legislature is to protect these unborn children when it's clear that there's life. And a heartbeat is about as, as, as good as you can get to detect life. You detect a heartbeat. And so really, I mean, we all know that Roe v. Wade has been a disaster. And this this is a, one of those laws that uh, I think and hopefully will challenge, just like the Mississippi law will challenge Roe v. Wade. And we can go back to individual legislators who are elected making those decisions as, a port, uh, as opposed to courts making those decisions. Now, it appeared to me that this opinion by Judge Pittman, 113 pages, uh, that he he just seemed to have a real beef with the Texas uh, legislature. Yeah, I think he does. Uh, you know, obviously, he's an Obama judge and uh, has a view, very different view on, on the world than, than the legislature. But he's not elected. He is he was appointed by President Obama. His job is to interpret the law. And he's 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 trying to do that, I guess. But he he doesn't have the role of overturning legislation like this. And I think the Fifth Circuit will see we have more judges on there that view the Constitution in a different way. And I think we have a very good chance of getting this stay knocked out and the people's representatives role put back in place. OK, so let's uh, explain this. The the Supreme Court didn't pa- passed on it. They didn't uh, step in. They let the law go into effect. 
that threw the left for a tizzy because they're accustomed to the courts doing their bidding for them. So then uh, you had this suit that was brought forward. They have stayed this. If it goes to the Fifth Circuit, the Fifth Circuit then will rule, either uh, upholding the lower court's uh, decision, staying it, uh, or wh- where might it go from there? And when might we see what might we see a final decision on this law? Well, so I think if whoever wins or loses, it goes again back to the U.S. Supreme Court again. I would not be surprised to see it go there. And then they could rule on the stay. And then we go back, I, I presume, to court again to, to deal with the actual merits of the case as opposed to this injunction that's been put in place. So I, so I would anticipate this is going to go on a while. So right now we're only dealing with procedural matters, not the uh, not the actual substance of the law itself. Yeah, although with a 113 page opinion, it seems like you really got into the substance more than just the procedure. So uh, I think we'll go back to the drawing board on this, but it's going to take a while to get resolved, which is not surprising given the court system and the way it works. But the, 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 the significant thing here is that for a month it has been in place and it's been working in the state of Texas, saving lives. Your goal is to see it back in place until it is fully litigated and adjudicated through the courts. Yeah, my job is to enforce state law and to represent the state of Texas in litigation. So, yes, I want to put back in place what the legislature put in place. It's, it's my job to do that. And so we're going to do our very best to make that happen. And I know you will. Ken Paxton, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Always great to talk with you. All right. Have a great evening and uh, a great weekend. Thank you. Attorney General of the state of Texas, Ken Paxton. Um, this extremely, extremely important piece of legislation. As he said, it's probably going to wind its uh, way all the way up to the Supreme Court. Of course, we have on December 1st, oral arguments in the Dobbs case. That's the abortion case, the 16-week case coming out of Mississippi. In fact, mark your calendars, November the 28th, Sunday night, 7 p.m. Central Time. We're going to have a special prayer event in Jackson, Mississippi, epicenter of the Dobbs case. More details will be coming about that later. All right, Ken Kulkowski, a constitutional attorney, joins me next as we fact check the president's speech. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to influence public policy and culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program that prepares and equips students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview trainings, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns will have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls them. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving interns the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Is real biblical masculinity lost forever? In this culture of gender confusion, there are too few examples of godly manhood. So where can men, husbands, and fathers find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength in this culture? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, 
build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have a generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, broadcasting live from the Pray Vote Stand Summit, the final day, going into the final evening. And if you're not here, you, you missed it. But not really. You can join us online. Go to PrayVoteStand.org and join us. It's interactive, so you it's, it's almost like being here. Almost, but not quite. All right. Yesterday, President Biden went to Chicago uh, to, I think, bolster, try to bolster his numbers that are tanking as a result of this vaccine mandate. And uh, he used this once again to call upon businesses, the private businesses, as we were talking about earlier with Attorney General uh, Rutledge, to, to try to get them to do the dirty work of enforcing this when they have yet to promulgate rules. So I thought it would be good to just kind of fact check the president's speech because he made a lot of claims that well quite quite frankly i don't think they're true and joining me now to talk about this ken klukowski he is a practicing constitutional and regulatory attorney here in the washington dc area and full disclosure used to work with frc on the frc team ken welcome to the program thanks so much for having me tony it's great to be back and uh, thanks for being a part of the uh, Pray Vote Stand Summit. Uh, grateful to be here. Very thankful. Very, very encouraged to, to see so many people so energized about what's going on in this country and their determination to work to preserve and restore their freedoms. All right. The president uh, can't do the whole speech, but I'm going to take clips of this speech and we're going to talk about it and, uh, and kind of dissect it. I'm going to start with uh, the president once again, trying to shame people who have not gotten a vaccine. Now, you know, just so YouTube doesn't take this down or Facebook doesn't uh, scrub us, I'll say this again. I'm not opposed to the vaccine. All right. 
I, I think it should be between a person and their doctor uh, as to whether or not they should get it. And you have to evaluate the risk. There are risks associated with this vaccine, but there are also risks associated with getting the coronavirus. And depending on your situation, you need to make that decision. So my issue is with the mandate. All right. So I just want to get that out front. Perfect. Okay. Let's play clip number five. The fact is, this has been a pandemic of the unvaccinated, unvaccinated. The unvaccinated overcrowd our hospitals, overrunning emergency rooms and intensive care units. The unvaccinated patients are, are leaving no room for someone with a heart attack or in need of a cancer operation and so much more because they can't get into the ICU. They can't get into the operating rooms. Okay, now the president is uh, speaking to people who may not have knowledge of how the healthcare system works. You have a little knowledge about that? I have a little knowledge about that. The reality is the, the reason we're having an overflow of our emergency rooms, a couple of reasons. One is that, and you can maybe speak to this, that uh, there are a number of people in our country that are using that for primary care. Yes, correct. And in fact, I'll, I'll start off by affirming what you said at the outset, Tony. I mean, when it comes to vaccines, like I'm pro-life, you know that. I, I took the vaccine. For me, it didn't cross the line in terms of my pro-life convictions. But there are sincere believers who draw the line in a different place. And this is not a line that's clearly dictated from Scripture right. as to what yard line it's on. And so it's imperative that we protect the rights of conscience for those who do draw it in a different place, because even if we're on the right side of a line in terms of what a mandate is for us individually one time, who knows what they're going to mandate tomorrow right. or next year. And so it's critically important that we protect this in law. But uh, to come to your first point, absolutely, that there are people I, in many places, more than 70 percent of the people who visit emergency rooms are, are uninsured and they just use it for primary care. And it's also, depending on what part of the country you are in, is uh, there are those that are coming into our emergency rooms using it for primary care who don't have insurance because they're illegally in the country. Yes, absolutely. Uh, there are certain parts uh, of the country. I, I speak to ER doctors who, who tell me that in the course of a shift, uh, it, they, they could have, I, I, I recall one conversation where this doctor said that every single patient they had in, uh, in I think it was a 10-hour shift, that actually every single one was not in the country legally. Right. The issue of capacity has to deal with hospital beds, okay? We actually have hospital beds, but we can't use those beds because we don't have enough nurses because under the requirements, every hospital bed, there's an equation, a ratio of nurses per bed. And so we actually have access, uh, excess hospital beds in many parts of the country, but we have a shortage of nurses. Therefore, we can't open up some of those wings of the hospitals and even some of the wings of the emergency rooms because we don't have enough nurses. Well, that's right. Both nurses and doctors. And that's a situation that's getting worse. Why is it getting worse? Because of healthcare workers who themselves personally object to the vaccine who are being told, if you don't get it, you're gone. And, and I, I know, I personally know healthcare workers who have lost their job uh, on that basis. Well, we know earlier this week on in Mon- Monday, in fact, in New York, 1,400 healthcare workers in the largest hospital system in New York were fired That's because right. they would not get the vaccine. Now, 
these, uh, the shot, it's not a vaccine, it's a shot. Many of these individuals, frontline healthcare workers, contracted That's the right. COVID virus in the early days. They now have natural immunity. Is that being considered? Well, in fact, two-part response. First of all, it is such an outrage that of any sector, now no one should be losing their job, but most especially these frontline healthcare workers who a year ago were being hailed as heroes of the nation, as champions for humanity, and now they're losing their job? I mean, this is, this is just disgraceful. But second, I'm very glad you're getting into the issue of natural immunity, because the reality is this. Vaccines mimic the natural response that your body has when it's fighting a disease. The, the purpose of a vaccine is to try and artificially recreate that. And it doesn't get as close as the, as the real deal. Right. What we have seen with over, like there was a study out of Israel, 188,000 people studied. And what we found is if you have COVID and your body produces antibodies, that gives you what we call natural immunity. The odds of you ever getting COVID again, 0.5%, one half of 1%. The odds of COVID getting bad enough that you require hospitalization, 0.02%. And the odds that it could actually get so bad that it kills you out of 188,000 people, only one person died, and that person was over the age of 80. Yeah, amazing what natural immunity provides, but yet it's not being considered. So on this, the president said this is a, a, that the unvaccinated are clogging our ER rooms, our hospitals, and consuming scarce resources. I have to give the president uh, at least one Pinocchio on this because it's his policies that are leading to the scarcity of health care. That's absolutely true. And beyond that as well, it's still not an issue of the unvaccinated because people who have natural immunity but are unvaccinated, even at its most potent, the vaccines are only 94 point whatever percent effective. Now, again, natural immunity is 99.5 percent effective. And what we're finding is that after a number of months, the vaccines start to decrease right. in their effectiveness right. at blocking infection. They still do a great job of preventing severe symptoms, right. but they're still not as good as natural immunity. And, and actually, we're beginning to see it's just a handful of months, and they begin That's to right. wane in their That's effectiveness. Right. All right, we're going to play another clip of the president. Uh, clip number six. The unvaccinated also put our economy at risk because people are reluctant to go out and think about this. Even in places where there is no restriction on going to restaurants and gyms and movie theaters, people are not going in anywhere near the numbers because they're worried they're going to get sick. All right, you're sitting next to me in a room of about 300 people, um, and we've been in an auditorium of about 1,800. Are you worried about getting sick? Well, let me tell you, I had COVID, so I have natural immunity. I'm positive for antibodies and because it, I, I got the vaccine as well. But I have to tell you, for me, that was a calculated risk. There still isn't much research on what it on whether there are potential complications for supercharging your body with an immune response when it's already had one. But first of all, life is about risk management. There's risk in everything that we do. But as someone, if, if you have a choice of sitting next to someone who's recovered from COVID and has natural immunity versus someone who's been vaccinated, both of them can have a percentage chance of protection, but the naturally immune person is actually much safer for you. Well, I can only speak uh, from personal experience. I went to the gym this morning 
And uh, the only reason I didn't go to a restaurant is because they had a sign on the door that said mask required. And I'm not going to go into a place that requires a mask. Well, and I'll tell you that that's been another issue out there is, again, we didn't know at the outset, you know, we, we were we were building this plane as we were flying it with this pandemic. But now science is emerging every month. We know that, for example, the, the kind of cotton masks, like surgical masks, they're only 10 percent effective. Now, the only ki- the only kind of masks widely available that is significantly effective would be an N95 mask. But even so, first of all, that's only 60 something percent effective, but also only if it's properly fitted and secured around you, it's difficult to breathe in those things. There are people who pass out from those things. We've seen video of high school athletes wearing it outside when you have almost zero chance of transmitting COVID actually, actually collapsing on the track because they're not getting enough oxygen in their body. And this isn't being anti-mask. It's just a matter of we have to follow the science, and the reality is the percentages just aren't well, there. I will say I am anti-mask. Yeah, and as well, you can you can go there. Uh, I'm just uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just I'm, laying out the numbers. I'm the not numbers anti-vaccine, but I am anti-mask. I, I think you. this is uh, this is ridiculous what they've been doing. And and by the way, this ties into e- the economic equation that the president talked on yesterday. And I'm going to play another clip of the president, and we'll talk about policies and the states that are actually seeing economic development. Uh, Let's go to clip number 14. The economy is growing leaps and bounds. 6%, the fastest growing major economy in the world. In fact, increased vaccination coverage results in as many as 5 million American workers going back to work because they feel safe they can go back to work. Well, so the economy is growing by 6%, but what's inflation? Well, th- that's exactly right. Inflation is at a 30-year high right now. And in some sectors of the economy, inflation is outstripping economic growth. Already, inflation is outstripping wage growth. So people are actually having less real money in their pocket right now than when Joe Biden took office because inflation is now outstripping wage growth. And he talks about job growth. We actually had two months in a row in which job growth underperformed the predictions. And in fact, just today, uh, last month, it, it, today it was revealed that last month the economy had grew by a meager 148,000 jobs. Now, we have to have 250,000 jobs with our population growth just to stay even. At 148,000, we are actually losing people out of the workforce. People are not being able to uh, to find jobs, and in part because an increasing number of them are being told, if you don't get a vaccine and if you don't do this and do, don't do that, you can't have a job here. Well, it would be much worse if you didn't have Republican-led states. 16 of the 20 top-performing states were Republican-led states that don't have these mandates that are allowing people to go back to work, go to school, and live normally. Well, and in fact, and that's one of two big points that I want to make about federal mandates. One is that our Constitution is a work of genius, and our founding fathers established a system of federalism where people can vote with their feet. And we have 50 sovereign state republics that are the laboratories of democracy. And you're exactly right. We're finding the states with Republican leadership of of limited government, limited regulation, low taxes and personal responsibility and morality. We're finding those being the engines of economic growth in this country. 
All right, the president uh, kind of trying to deflect the issue we talked about a moment ago, people being fired because of the vaccine mandates. Let's play clip number 11. Let's be clear. When you see headlines and reports of mass firings and hundreds of people losing their jobs, look at the bigger story. What's the bigger story? The bigger story is that and I want to take this to where the federal government is going with this, Tony. And that is it, the federal government is subject to all sorts of constraints under the U.S. Constitution and federal law. Congress has passed several COVID bills, several pieces of COVID legislation. Congress has included no vaccine mandate. Congress has included no such mandates on all sorts of things. This is being done by executive action. And there is nothing in federal law that empowers the president to enforce these things on uh, the American people. That's the bigger story, that exactly. this is a massive federal overreach by the president taking authority that he does not have. That's right. This is, in fact, imperial overreach. Even if Congress were to do it, there could be constitutional challenges like there was with the individual mandate in Obamacare uh, a decade ago. But this is like Obamacare's individual mandate. If Congress had never passed the Affordable Care Act yeah. and Barack Obama had just declared an individual mandate on insurance by executive fiat, that's what we're dealing with with President Biden. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see if we ever see these rules promulgated, what will happen in court. Ken Klukowski, out of time. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Tony. All right, folks. And thank you for joining us as well. Let me encourage you to tune in tonight to PrayVoteStand.org for the last night of the Pray Vote Stand Summit here at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.